This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to our special weekend show, Sunday Uncensored. Every week, we produce four uncensored episodes of the TimCast IRL podcast exclusively at TimCast.com. And we're going to bring you the most important for our weekend show. If you want to check out more segments just like this, become a member at TimCast.com. Now, enjoy the show. I was looking at uh, uh, Nuke Map. What is it? Nuke Secrecy slash Nuke Map. Have you guys ever looked at this? Yeah. No. And uh, uh, it, what it basically does is it allows you to choose. Uh, actually, I don't know. Maybe we should pull it up. Let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, Nuke Map. I'm curious now. It allows you to choose like blast radius and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez. So uh, as we're talking about Russia, nuclear weapons and all of that stuff, I decided to uh, – it chooses Philadelphia all the time. Hmm. We're going to choose Washington, D.C., we're going to choose uh, Enter Yield, the largest ICBM ever uh, deployed by the United States, which is nine megatons, and then detonate. Oh, oh my gosh. We're and dead. Uh, wait, no, no, wait, is that right? Are we dead? Hold on, okay, there it? we go. We're alive. No, we're not. We're not. So we're in the Harper's Ferry area, basically, oh, and this would be DC being, being hit by the largest ICBM the US has ever deployed. Oof. And it's uh, massive. People don't realize there's a file, fireball radius of 2.33 kilometers. Wow. Then there's the moderate blast damage radius. You're all basically dead. Then there's the thermal radiation radius, which is 31.4 kilometers. Uh, uh, that's miles, massive. Yeah. 41 kilometer light blast zone. Fortunately, we're all outside of that. And um, we probably have more powerful weapons already. The, the I'll, I'll actually challenge you on that. This is a topic that I know a thing or two about. Well, all right then. Uh, the truth is America doesn't deploy, actively deploy any multi-megaton weapons in our current nuclear arsenal. Really? Nope. Uh, in the In the 50s and 60s, there, the nuclear arms race was taking place, and what what we discovered in America is that we were very good at advancing our technological ability to hit things, hmm. and the Russians were very bad at developing the technology to hit things. And so the Russians built bigger and built bigger nuclear weapons than we did. They did, and we would build bigger bombs as a way of showing that we could also make a big bomb. So they would detonate. You know, I mean, they they detonated a fifty megaton bomb at is one it? point, the Tsar Bomba. Yeah, that's what uh, we're looking at. But but what America did is it decided that. If you can hit a target, then it's immoral to have too big of a blast uh, radius. The reason that the Russians needed these giant multi-megaton bombs is because their missile wasn't going to hit the target. Which, when I say not going to hit the target, it's pretty amazing. You can shoot an ICBM into the air 3,000 or 4,000 or 5,000 miles away and have it hit mm. within a couple miles of an American city. But a couple miles, while while pretty impressive from a technology point of view, isn't a hit. Mm. And so they they needed a bomb that if they missed by... Two miles, it still destroyed the target that they were trying to destroy. Which our our goal was put a missile down somebody's uh, chimney. So all of America's deployed nuclear, strategic nuclear weapons are variable yield, which means that it can range in yield how big it is, and they decide depending on what target they want to hit. And most of them are probably in like the one hundred to two hundred kiloton range, but we hit our targets. So we're scared of Russia. Russia's Sarbama at the maximum uh, design of 100 megatons would flatten Baltimore, Annapolis, and D.C. if it targeted D.C. Mm. Yeah. But here's the reality. 
You think a bomber is going to make it over D.C. to drop that that Tsar bomber? No. Have you ever seen the Tsar bomber? I've seen. There's a video of like the plane or something. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I mean, it's, it's a gravity bomb. It's a gravity bomb. It was which means to just drop it. Yeah, I mean that that bomb could never arrive on our soil. There's right. no there's no way that that bomb could ever. They'd be have to go over Delaware. Oh, no. Delmarva. No I mean, way. it's never going to happen. Never going to happen. I mean, uh, so so. What about? Uh, are you familiar with the Strategic Defense Initiative? Mm-hmm. What what have we deployed, or what do we know? What does the public know about what the U.S. has deployed in terms of stopping nuclear weapons hitting the United States? Yeah. Well, first of all, we're better at it than people think we are. You know, our Aegis cruisers are very successful uh, in in knocking down missiles. The other thing, though, that I think people don't really think about when they talk about nuclear deterrence is the intelligence piece of this. It's very popular to hate our intelligence agencies, and they definitely play political roles. They don't always know the things that they say that they know. Uh, I'm not I'm not making a defense of all of that, but there are sort of core competencies that they have, and one of their core competencies is knowing the, the status of these weapons. And my guess is that in practice, uh, a lot of the weapons would never get off the ground. Like, I don't want people to have, like, a false sense of confidence. That's not what I'm trying to instill. But the, the American military is not like other militaries. Mm. You're seeing it right now in Ukraine. We One of the reasons that people don't know what to make of the situation in Ukraine is because they've always thought that there are other militaries like our military. We're a superpower. Russia used to be a right. superpower. There is no military on Earth like our military. We're the only military on Earth that can forward project power. China is an ascending power, and they may be able to do it soon. They still can't do it. Russia probably never could do it and certainly cannot do it. You know, decades after the end of the Cold War, they're not successfully invading a neighbor state right now. We can we can do things that no one else on Earth can do. And not just by a little, by orders of magnitude, we can do things that no one else in the world can do. Does that mean that I don't believe that Russia could hit us with a nuclear weapon? I'm not suggesting that. Does that mean that I believe that there wouldn't be enormous cost to engaging in a, uh, a, a sort of first world war, first world war? In in Europe, of, co- of course, there would be our ability to win that war, though. There's no question about our ability to um, ed- to forward project our power unparalleled in all of human history. Uh, the the Russian ability to hit us with a nuclear weapon, you know, limited, not not uh, they don't not have the ability. I wouldn't want to take r- I'm not suggesting that we take risks uh, where that's concerned, but I think that their ability to strike us is so much less than we think. And the idea of sort of the Terminator 2 Judgment Day city killer nuclear weapons, you know, that are 20 megaton weapons just flattening every city on Earth, I don't think actually reflects the reality of either America or Russia's current strategic nuclear arsenal. I, th- I think you'd have to ignore technological advancement over the past 40 years to believe that mm-hmm. a mutually assured destruction could happen to. I, I had, a, I had a, uh, an argument with uh, – or debate – with imagine Nawaz, because I don't believe mutually assured destruction makes sense or is correct. Mm-hmm. It's this like archaic idea of if you nuke me, I'll nuke you. But if you nuke me, I'll nuke you. Well, if you nuke me, I'll nuke you. And I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't, that it's the, the argument against me was that I didn't understand human psyche and that I thought humans were predictable. I'm like quite the opposite. I think, I think humans uh, are sometimes predictable, sometimes not predictable. And when it comes to firing nuclear weapons, we don't exactly know what technological advancements we've had and what defenses we have. We know the, the uh, strategic defense initiative program was was big. We're like, how do we stop a nuclear weapon from hitting us? Mm-hmm. We've already seen publicly that they have uh, um, uh, AI lasers. You ever, have you seen the infrared lasers? You can't even see the beam. The thing just looks at the drone and the drone bursts into flames and falls. 
So they certainly have prepared for if an ICBM was coming towards us. Yeah. I think what we might see, though, and correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, uh, tactical weapons, yep. s- smaller yield bombs from Russia or the United or NATO or otherwise. So the first thing I would say is that I do believe in mutually assured destruction. It, it may be that we no longer live in an era where it is mutual. It may be that America has so outpaced our rivals technologically that we could successfully conduct a first a first use nuclear strike. Uh, but I believe in the philosophy of mutually assured destruction. I think it kept the peace for 60 years, uh, and and there's a lot of good that we can learn from that. Um, to, to your second point, could we see battlefield or tactical nuclear weapons used? Yes. I think um, America contemplated the use of battlefield nuclear weapons to hit Iranian uh, underground hardened nuclear, uh, nuclear facilities. Right. And there's a good argument for why that would be a good tool to use if your goal was to stop uh, the construction of nuclear weapons in hardened targets in a country like Iran. Um, you have to understand that when we talk about those kinds of weapons, we're not talking about these big city killer nuclear weapons. We also talked about the use of um, sort of like thermobaric weapons, which are not nuclear, but are also very massive destructive weapons in Tora Bora when we were trying to get bin Laden. We didn't know like what cave he's in, so we wanted to do something that would be— Suck the air out. Mm-hmm. And a nuclear weapon may have been a successful tool in that case, too, because you're not hitting an urban center— where you're going to kill a million people because you used a nuclear weapon. You're just going to kill uh, the same number of people that you would have killed with conventional bombs, uh, but you're going to have more success in the, in the instance of Torbora. I think it was smart not to actually do those two things, because even though I think that they would have been moral and effective weapons in those two particular cases, I do think that there's the possibility that it would have led to kind of a dominoing use sure. of nuclear weapons. Yeah. But what I think the real threat in the world is today is I think that we have removed most of the incentives to not use battlefield and tactical nuclear weapons from Vladimir Putin. You know, Putin, in the situation he's in right now, where we're, we're not opposing him militarily, but we are opposing him economically. I actually think that that's one of the worst ideas that we've ever seen tested in all of human history. Right now, he's, he's destroyed Grozny. He's not afraid to destroy civilian populations. He's shown us that during his premiership. He's not afraid to use weapons of mass destruction. He's used chemical weapons. He's used thermobaric weapons, uh, both against the Chechens, uh, and, uh, and, 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 uh, it's been reported that he's used thermobaric weapons against urban populations in Ukraine so far. So if you're Vladimir Putin right now, you have to destroy Ukraine. Let, like, you're afraid there's going to be a coup back home if you don't win. Yep. Your country's being bankrupted. All the, the West has said we're not going to use military might against you. You're contemplating using weapons of mass destruction like chemical or biological or thermobaric weapons, why wouldn't you use the one that at least puts fear in the hearts of NATO? Why would you use the one that just makes you look like a, a, a President Assad of Syria low-level thug? Why wouldn't you use one that says, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it to you too. Which brings me to this story. Top military, uh, stop, top Russian military figures Sergei Shoigu and uh, Valery Gerasimov suddenly vanished from public eye. Uh, I did a segment on this for my main channel. These two individuals are the only two other men with the Russian nuclear football. Uh, yeah. they're, they're in the chain of command, and they've dropped out of public eye. could be as simple as these men are being protected because of the potential abuse of nuclear weapons. Right. Some people fear that because Shoigu's last uh, appearance was with Putin, Putin may have stripped him of his nuclear access or of his life to huh. consolidate power so he can unilaterally, unilaterally fire these nukes. I think in, with the absence of evidence, the solution is these men, for obvious reason, are being protected. Mm-hmm. But if that's the case, is that indicative of 
Russia does intend to use some kind of nuclear weapon. Well, the, the one thing that Russia is very good at is psyops. And so I think you also have to just contemplate the idea that uh, he wants us to think that he's contemplating the use of nuclear weapons. The, the nuclear weapons that they that they control are strategic nuclear weapons. So like the nuclear football isn't for battlefield or tactical nuclear weapons. It's only for like ICBMs. Right. And SP- so I, I, the idea that Putin is seriously contemplating using strategic nuclear weapons Listen, you don't know his mental state. You don't know his political realities. You, people, human nature is not always predictable. It seems exceedingly unlikely to me. The idea, so like, it's almost like if he were going to use nuclear weapons, it wouldn't be the ones that those guys were controlling, which makes me think that a big part of it might just be rattling us. What yeah, would what happen? Like what, what would happen if Vladimir Putin used a, I don't know, let's say a hundred kiloton bomb on Kiev? He'd lose um, the war. He, you say he'd lose the he'd war? Lose it all. Well, that's the question. I don't. I don't. He, I actually don't think so. Yeah, he, he'd win. He'd win. I don't think he'd destruction flatten. is his goal. I think it's conquer. No, he'd flatten the, the no, government. Look at Grozny. He does just want the yeah. land. He wants access to Crimea. Use a Grozny. No, He'll, he what will, did he do to Grozny? He leveled it. I haven't seen anything about this yet. Well, Grozny was in Chechnya, so it was in the past. But it's the it's the one time we've seen Putin engage in this kind of conflict. And Grozny was a city uh, in in Chechnya, and Putin flattened it. He at a certain point when he wasn't getting his his victory. Through more conventional means, he used sort of the World War II flatten a city approach. So he can flatten cities without nuclear weapons. My point is, if you're in the position he's in today and you've decided to flatten the city and you're already an international pariah, you might be tempted to use a weapon that would actually rattle your enemies. Now, a 100 kiloton weapon is still a strategic weapon. I think the more likely thing is that he'll use battlefield or tactical nuclear weapons if he uses a nuclear weapon. And I think the unfortunate reality is if he does, I don't think we have any tools left with which to respond other than the ones that we've already deployed. And that's why I say we've, I think we've removed the incentive for him to show restraint. Right. So I, on the map I just pulled up is a 100 kiloton bomb, the W76, mm-hmm. common US and UK over Kiev. The reason why I ask this is if it is true that Vladimir Putin is losing and his real goal is just to strip away what he what he believes is the corrupt government of Kiev, the, the 2014 coup, whatever you want to call it. He wants to assert control over what's happening in Ukraine. He wants to destroy their, their command structure. He wants to cause chaos and panic, making it easier. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. if he dropped a 100 kiloton bomb on Kiev, flattening the center of the city, it would cause chaos and disarray in Ukraine to the point where he'd pick up the pieces and walk through the rest of the country. There oh. would be there would be panic. He needs only check out. He needs he needs only fire one weapon and then scare the rest of Ukraine into thinking more weapons are coming and people will desert in two seconds. He would win the war. The question is, would NATO or anyone else respond to a bomb of that size militarily? Yeah, no. And that's why I, I asked the question because Vladimir Putin might be sitting there saying right now, we hit Kiev with the nuke. It's over. This is the problem with the position that's popular on the right today, that signs of American strength are going to lead to a world war. It has always been the case historically that it is signs of American weakness that precipitates or Western weakness that precipitates world wars. We're in a position now where we ask these questions like, should we impose a no-fly zone? Do you want to start World War Three? A month ago, if we had imposed a, a no-fly zone— we wouldn't have had to have shot down Russian planes. Yep. And there wouldn't have been an invasion of Russia. They would have had to attack the United That's States. That's correct. And so it is signs it is signs of weakness. And essentially, the West has shown so much weakness today that I don't think they would have I actually don't think they have any military tool. Listen, if if the United States decided we wanted Russia out of Ukraine, 
Russia would be out of Ukraine in 72 hours. Yep. The American military's ability to destroy the Russian military conventionally. There's not a question about it. Don't don't play any fantasy scenario in your head where Putin can beat us. 72 hours you would try. If America decided it wanted to remove the Russian military conventionally from the earth, even from Russia, three or four weeks, we would remove their entire military. There is no military on earth. It really is like we are a World War II army fighting at the Alamo. There is nothing like what we can do conventionally. How on many this aircraft planet. carriers do we have? Twenty. All of them. Right. The <laughs> all of them. The if if we wanted to impose a no fly zone over Russia or, or over uh, Ukraine, which I'm not proposing, but if we did, Russian MiGs would be falling out of the sky. They would not know we were there. It would take them a day to even figure out why all their MiGs were falling out of the sky because the F-22 is invisible to the Russians and it fires its missiles from over the horizon. But it is this nuclear threat that is his ultimate ace in the hole. That's, that is the thing that everyone rightly fears if we get engaged in a military conflict today. If he uses a 100, kilo, uh, 100 kiloton nuclear weapon over Kiev, he still has about 5,000 more. Yeah. Not, he doesn't have 5,000 probably strategic, but he has certainly 1,500 more of that size. I don't see how we're, we're unwilling to fight against him today. But we're going to be willing to fight against him after he uses a nuclear weapon. Does, that seems preposterous. If uh, just I'm just using the W76. If this were to hit Kiev, it would result in an estimated 135,700 dead, 523,830 injuries. Yep. And that's and then it would also irradiate central Kiev. But uh, that, that this this is why Ra- radiation I, I is tricky. These are thermonuclear weapons. Uh, for and sure. Some of the question Spreads. about. Is going to be about where they detonate it. Almost certainly they would airburst it and there would be a lot less radioactivity than you think. Nevertheless, yeah. your yeah, fir- your at, first point whoa. is correct. Look at this. When you do a surface detonation. Yeah, there's yeah. no way they're going to do that. No one, does that. Sur- no one does surface detonation. That's not going to happen. But the radiation's bigger. Much, much. Yeah. Well, so, so my, here's my point. First. When I, when I said I don't believe in mutually assured destruction, obviously I understand the doctrine exists. I'll, obviously I understand that it happened for, for a long time. This was a doctrine that did keep the peace. What I'm saying is, you don't believe that it is actually effectually today. Yes, I agree with you. To, to, today, this like this is what we're talking about. The U.S. is not going to nuke. This, one of the things I was saying is like, do you think someone's going to nuke a, an urban center a, like an ICBM like Moscow because Moscow's attacking Ukraine? No, uh, it's 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 insane to think. Let's wipe out the whole planet over Ukraine. So I'm like, I, I'm not convinced that someone's going to be like. I'm going to destroy the entire planet because, you know, a, a nuke has been launched or fired here. The question is, obviously, I think if, you know, Russia fired nukes at us, we might have a very strong response, but I'm not even convinced it's going to be like in the movies, like in war games where the missiles just go flying or like in G.I. Joe. No. Uh, especially considering uh, SDI or our SAM sites or whatever we have in terms of shutting these things down, probably satellites that can do it. But uh, right now, the big question is about using an ICBM on Kiev. And I don't see why the West would intervene if he did. If we did intervene, it would be conventional. I can imagine a world where we remove the Ukrainian military from Ukraine. I'm sorry, we would remove the Russian military from Ukraine conventionally. I just don't see a world where we do that under Joe Biden. And, oh, yeah. and, and I think strength is the only thing that deters war, deters war. And so at the end of the day, the thing that I'm the most afraid of right now is that none of us think that the West would respond to a nuclear attack on Ukraine today. That is what's going to precipitate in a world war. And the other thing that I would say about a world mm. war is they don't all they they often don't global conflict often doesn't happen the way you think it will. 
And so we're all talking about, well, what is Putin going to do in Ukraine? Obviously, that matters. But in a moment of instability like this, in a moment of American weakness where American hegemony is is collapsing, India and China have been killing each other's soldiers on their border for the last two years. Oh, yeah. Uh, North Korea fired a missile into the Sea of Japan last week. Um, in Because our, our administration is so hubristic, and its belief that it can that it can consequence free reorganize the world order. We're trying to make a deal with Iran so that we can buy their oil, and then we're complaining that the Sauds, the mortal enemies of Iran, won't lower the price of their oil to sell us while we're about to make their enemies uh, nuclear armed and rich. You could actually see the Sauds allow Israel to fly over their airspace and bomb Iranian nuclear sites in the next few weeks. You could see a joint Israeli Saudi airstrike on Iran, something that 10 years ago would have been incomprehensible, doesn't even seem possible. And because these leftists have so upended the world order, that's even possible right now. And so we have to be mindful that the the entire world is on a razor's edge right now. It's not just what directly happens between Russia and Ukraine. So when should we flee the D.C. area to the mountains? Uh, you know, Ain't no mountain high enough to quote the man. <laughs> so here, so we we actually have a secured location prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got well, first of all, Freedomistan is you know thirty or forty miles west already, which is you know in West Virginia. But we also do have a secure location just because it's it's cheap property in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But uh, what I was saying is, if NATO intervenes, the first thing we're doing is packing up one of our trailers with the gear to do the show and supplies, and sending it to our secure location. We stay here. We keep doing the show as normal. But the moment we get any kind of, you know, dramatic escalation that could be catastrophic or apocalyptic, we already have our supplies ready to go. Yep. I, uh, I've i always thought that where you really want to go, if there's going to be a strategic nuclear exchange between superpowers, you really want to go to Times Square. Hmm. What's that? So it's over quickly? Who wants to survive a nuclear holocaust? <laughs> Bro, have you played Fallout? <laughs> it's going to be awesome. You know, you're fighting ghouls no, and you got to drink mode. irradiated water. There's and no fast travel and cuts <laughs> can kill you. <laughs> cuts can kill you. Yeah, I stubbed my toe. Guess I'll die. Oh, Guess I'll die. That's where we'd be at. Um, well, look, you know, I want to survive. I don't want to live in a post-apocalyptic nightmare. There's a certain excitement to it where it's like, well, at least you'll have something to strive for, I guess. But it, it will be nightmarish beyond most, what most... I mean, people don't understand. They play Fallout and they're like, I don't know, it might be, uh, you know, I, I, it would suck, but it's like, bro, when you're walking down the street and there's a woman whose leg is, is like melted and she's screaming and her like teeth are falling out from radiation or whatever, you don't want to live in this kind of stuff, man. You don't want to. I will say again that even in this context, we're talking about a nuclear exchange in these very fictionalized Mm -hmm. ways. Um, there are, there is the possibility of limited nuclear exchange. It would be bad. I'm not suggesting it would be good or advocating for it, but we don't really know what it will look like. Also, every post-apocalyptic scenario always factors out human ingenuity. Mm-hmm. Like right. if there was a zombie apocalypse, I would I would immediately have a zombie eradication business and be just <laughs> yeah. as successful as I am today. <laughs> human ingenuity uh, is a real thing that we have to just ignore in order to make sort of disaster porn. And look, I love disaster porn. 
but it is fiction. Zombie movies only work because they're movies about people who are really dumb. Right. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, uh, this is this is exactly what I think. Whenever I hear people making very grim predictions about the future, I think things can and probably will get bad in some respects. But at the same time, when people come out talking about overpopulation and how we're going to reach a uh, a number where we can no longer sustain people. I mean, firstly, that's contradicted by the evidence as the world mm-hmm. population has grown, poverty has decreased, more people have had, a- had access to resources. But even if that wasn't the case, you would have to negate the human ability to solve problems in that's order right. to believe that we wouldn't be able to provide for ourselves. You'd have to completely ignore that. Yeah, uh, climate change is like mm-hmm. that. They don't, a lot of these models of climate change don't account for, you know, technology where we could withdraw the carbon from the atmosphere, yeah. turn it into graphene, and then reproduce it. We'll actually be competing for carbon with the trees at that point. There's another problem we gotta look for. I wonder to what extent, um, you know, we didn't know about the Manhattan Project. I wonder to what extent bioweapons could be the actual, you know, weapon of choice. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, bio, yeah. Well, I mean, I, let's talk about COVID. Fucking I think, bioweapons. I think the problem, I think the problem with bioweapons is the world may have just learned hmm. uh, is that that's a genie that you can't control like yeah uh, a nuclear weapon kills what you pointed at and a bioweapon probably kills what you just pointed it at and then kills you what yeah, if they what if much. they mass vaccinate the population before releasing their their weapon no you believe in vaccines I'm kidding. What if they have their population wear masks so they're perfectly no, safe no, no, from the bioweapon? What if the U.S. Is they quite, wash their food before they if, get home from the yeah. What, uh, what if they only have if dinner if after 9 p.m. The in web, public places? What if the United States has actually developed a very serious weaponized smallpox or something? Yeah. And the true purpose of the COVID vaccine was to protect the American people because the U.S. is planning on purging its enemies with a bioweapon. Yeah, the the only problem with that is that we that we've given that same vaccine to just about every person on Have earth. Have we though? Community that's it is uh, legally distinct is what was given out in Europe and the bio sure. was different here. And 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 look, it's it's grand conspiracy, don't don't get me wrong, but if the US was actually planning on unleashing a bioweapon on its enemies, it would not be giving the it would, it would be giving the cure to people while giving the cure to its own people. I think if I believe that Joe Biden was capable of chewing gum and walking at the same time, <laughs> I might be able to get behind yeah, yeah. This war fear feels like just a distraction from Biden's terrible, terrible presidency and the inflation. I, I truly believe the existential threat is the metaverse and get people getting into proprietary coded situations where they don't realize they're inside of it and they're owned by a corporation. Yeah. Uh, it's like Ready Player One was there. That was not a good movie. I mean, it was a good movie, but it was like nothing good come up came about in that movie. Like they're like we reclaimed the the digital mm-hmm. virtual space. Whatever. I'm like, no, all of it is bad because your mind is. You spend a year or two years, especially a child in this metaverse. They will come out. They will not be human anymore. They will not recognize the world around them. They won't recognize their own hands. They might be a squid when they go and play the game and they're flopping around tentacles and they come out in the real world and they're like, ah, what am I? And they're going to just, they're, they're going to be so removed from real life. They won't function. They can have it fast too. If I turn my glasses like this and I, and after like a couple minutes and I go like this, it looks all backwards and distorted. It's certainly true. If you've ever put one of these headsets on and, and played, uh, in virtual space, you do get disoriented. And when you take it off, you are disoriented. The mm-hmm. only thing I'll say is, Humans are soul and body, and it's one thing to to sort of abstract that we can disembody uh, the human mind or the human soul. I don't think you can because while you're wearing that Oculus, yeah, you are or whatever, you are in a different world. But it's also heavy, and your neck starts to hurt. Your palms get kind of sweaty, and your knees get weak. Like not if <laughs> right, they neural link yes. you. Spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. they, yeah. I'm talking about once they neural link you. Yeah, once they just plug you right in. And then what you what, what you what you're what's going to happen is you're going to be in some kind of suspension suit. 
to minimize, you know, the effects of, or, or maybe like a zero G chair. You'll be like back. inside of a smart gel. And you'll, you'll be like pressure. No, that's, that's too expensive. But, but that's what if we already are? Right, they'll, 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 they'll plug your brain in and all of your synaptic responses and everything you think and feel will be virtual. So but you will still exist in physical space. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. But like what are you, you? You are, so you are still going to be a body soul composite and there is an attempt to remove you from that. And it's really more or less ultimately just insulating you from the reality that exists, which is that you are your body, right? You are your body and your soul. You can't, you can't have uh, some technological process that truly separates the two. Because firstly, if you do deconstruct a brain and then recreate in a computer, you've just killed the person. And now you have a computer emulating sure, sure, what but, it, but it thinks what that person might when do. They, they impede the actual biological functions, like the, 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 your senses, mm-hmm. and inject you with pre-programmed senses. Everything mm-hmm. that you're saying still requires people to be functioning in the actual real world. Though. Yeah. But when you uh, say, it, it, it does. Absolutely. You, you, would, you would be able to sit in there all the time. You have to shave. You have to shower. Mm-hmm. You have to come out. Or somebody, or someone else has to shave you and shower what, you and feed you. Right. But what I'm saying is people's identities would be shattered. I, I, yeah. they, I, they I would, agree. I, I actually believe in a lot of what you're saying. I think it, we're going, we're going to find out because a lot of it's coming. Um, and, and I agree that most of the bad thing, like there'll be a lot of, someday we'll all be having sex with robots and it'll be bad, right? Like <laughs> that, it's all going to happen. Yeah. Um, the part where I, where I get lost though, is that again, in actual, there, there will have to be people operating in the actual human world because we are, n- we're not disembodied. Our body is still there and it still has all of its actual biological mm-hmm. needs. Yeah. Right, that we will either have to meet or other humans operating in physical space will have to meet. It, yeah, it, well, may, it may be that the conscious or that your mind isn't necessarily shattered, but it's combined with other minds to create like another mind. Like our body is trillions of microorganisms working together, and they all have their own desires and wants. And we think that we are this, but mm-hmm. we're a combination of things. Mm-hmm. So we might be recreating that in a digital sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, people this, are going to flock to this shit. Like, I, well, fucking, yes. Oh, yeah. In, in this sort shit. of this perverse scenario of people living in a, a cyber world is something we're already seeing. And you can imagine people existing in a point in history where their minds are, quote unquote, uploaded. You know, they're connected to this machine and they're experiencing that reality. And they will see the difference between them and us is that we were just profoundly disabled because we were also spending all of our time in the right. cyber world. But our only interface was this keyboard and this screen, whereas that they, they can use their entire bodies be to interact with it. So what's they're, really they're disheartening the is the fact that even though we have the limited control that a computer can give you over the internet we still spend all of our time there so of course we're going say, to when we can, can quote believe, plug our brains in they're gonna say can you believe that to use the metaverse like in the in the in the 20s you had to like look at a screen and your desk and like yep. it'll be like the phone thing. you had to crank right. and put up to your ear right. uh, and then speak into they'll see it as ridiculous and but sex like, with robots. Typing will be like Morse but code. But, but robots might yeah, not like be Morse the right. Code. Sex with robots. It's not going to be robots. Sex it's with robots is potentially be virtual good. entities. Where you oh, yeah. think you're getting fucked. Your brain you is going to feel it it's all digital. Bro, it's not even that. You're going to be able to download experiences from other people. So people will sell an experience like their memory or something. Oh, if we can if we can transcode totally data off a brain, then you're going to have Tom Cruise be like, would you like to experience what it's like to be Tom Cruise at the Oscars? Maybe. Maybe that's going to happen because I do believe that we are soul, soul, mind, and body. I, I'm skeptical that some of the, some of our ability to replicate that will actually come to pass. Like, I don't believe that you can upload. I, I don't think it's just technology. Like, yeah, today we can't upload your brain to the cloud, but 500 years from now we will, or at least a thousand years from now we will. I, like, I actually think like 25,000 years, no nuclear wars, you still won't be able to separate what is, uh, the human being from 
the, the intersection of mind I don't, and body. I don't think yeah. they can or upload a person to the computer. I yeah. think they can copy data and then put it in your brain and stimulate your brain to make it experience and see and feel. Yeah, that idea that they'll, I don't, they'll stop using debt like uh, computers and start using human brains as the computers. I don't know if they work that. quicker. Yeah, I mean, I, fundamentally, I agree. There, there just there is something about the human being that can't be reduced to information processing. Mm-hmm. And in order to argue that these machines could be conscious, that's essentially what you have to believe is a total materialistic worldview that does not allow any possibility for the soul. And then on top of that, you also have to assume that assume that given that framework, we would ever have the capability to recreate consciousness on a circuit board, which is also a stretch. Well, I'm I'm, I'm not convinced yeah. that could happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and there's questions about whether data is actually alive for sure, whether it's a soul or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that if if we well, can, data is alive. I don't. That's no, there's no question about that. I'm saying that. Uh, These are I, robots. I, wasn't, I didn't mean to attack data. Data is different because I'm I love just saying. Them. Uh, they can, they can, you know, we, we can electrocute you and make your, your arm close. Sure. Yeah. So there will come a point, in my opinion, where we can electrocute, you know, and send signals to your brain and, and figure out how to transcode information and trick your brain into experiencing or, or thinking things. That may um, well be true. Have maybe s- it will always feel plastic though, because it is your brain. You know what I mean? Like something the, the about other the experience thing, the will other be thing is, th- this kind of goes to the question of why can't you just upload us to a cloud? And it's because even our thoughts, aren't just our brain. Your thoughts are also connected to senses that happen in other parts of your body. And so can you, is it like the matrix where you can teach me Spanish by pushing a button? I don't think so. Because to really understand Spanish, I have to have heard and I have to have seen and I have to have spoken. Like there are actual sensory elements of that. And you couldn't give me your experience of those things because well, my sensory apparatus while fundamentally similar to yours, are not identical to yours. The, the, the better example is actually, I don't think you'd be able to plug someone into the matrix, teach them a language, because like for Italian, for instance, you need that you need that physical, yes. you know, hey. fingertips pinching. Come on. I wonder, you I wonder if you can't experience to, that, how do you actually speak if, the language? If a memory is like a neural pathway, like it's an exact combination of pathways that you can geometrically calculate, maybe you could imprint the ability to access that geometric comboid with like a, a certain, but like you said, every brain is different. So... Well, and every body is different. And that's the part that I think we're missing, that that an experience is not just information, meaning information in the brain. It's also this tactile sensory apparatus that we have that is connected to everything that we know and everything we've ever experienced. I've got to imagine it's outside the body, too. If it's like the yeah. neurons in your stomach and in your muscles, and those are electromagnetic, you have an electromagnetic field that surrounds <laughs> yeah. you. You should look up human magnetic field if you want to see the image I'm talking about when yeah, I keep yeah. referencing that. But we have these dyna- 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 what do you call dynamic magnetic fields also, that must be affecting our thoughts. Also, the, the godlike being who definitely isn't God, but who exists out there, who probably made everything and knows all of our thoughts and is above all. He built the simulation, right? The simulation that we all think is reality. Uh, you know, he pro- He's going to have something to say about all Do you think that. God you want, is wait, 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 big? Hold on, hold on, hold on. You want, you want to know something crazy? They've taken high-powered magnets and mm-hmm. put them on people's brains, turned them on, and then people say they felt the presence of God when that happened. I was sure. wondering if God was like a Haven't huge thing heard, that's like hovering over our galaxy or, 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 and well, is I, playing with us like ants. I think they've said when they like they they use these machines there was there was a study, right? And if they use the machine to hit your brain with brain with certain electrical waves, you would be less likely to believe in God and more like, it was very interesting. I have this I, I heard uh, the exact opposite. I experienced mean? God at a Paul McCartney concert, and I'm not joking. I was really? on mushrooms. Yeah, I went to a uh, C McCartney when I was in my 20s at Staples and 
in the middle of the concert, of course, as he always does. He came down, sat on the front of the stage, played Blackbird on his acoustic, and then played Yesterday on the acoustic. And 13,000 people lit up their candle. Um, back then, it may have actually been lighters, but it may, maybe it's at the, yeah, it was before the iPhone. It's probably all lighters. And started singing along to Yesterday, and I felt the Holy Spirit, what I would describe as the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a somewhat Pentecostal church environment, and I knew this sensation to be the sensation of the Holy Spirit. And sitting there have, at Paul McCartney, I had this existential crisis of either Paul McCartney is God or that experience is not the Holy Spirit. And that's a, a one of the formative moments in my religious in my religious life. You do believe it was the Holy Spirit? We got Paul McCartney's what, God. Flowing what, what through you <laughs> McCartney. Yeah. Um, what do you think God I wanna is? I want to mention – well, I, I want to mention this. So I just pulled this up. Their uh, magnetic brain stimulation, quote, reduces belief in God, prejudice towards immigrants. And, when this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's very funny because when this was first published, I saw the responses on Twitter were like, oh, so brain damage makes you a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> How do you define God for yourself? Well, in, a, in the very traditional way, I would say, yeah. Like a, I, like a I, make a, I make a lot of jokes about it, but – well, God is. That's uh, not the traditional way, Ian. That's that's, that's liberal propaganda. Yeah. That he's a man. That's pro- that's patriarchy. Yeah, God. Uh, God has revealed Himself as a man uh, in Christ. I would say, and God uh, in in the Bible refers to Himself as the Father, for example. But that isn't. That's a. That's to help us understand the incomprehensible. It's not that God is a father. Like you can't go, oh, well, I understand God because I understand my dad. Mm-hmm. It's this more is- like because we have a universal understanding of in some level of what a father is, we can begin to understand something about yeah, God. Yeah, it's is, like God, wanna... so a father is a term that we understand as humans, and everything good comes from God, right? And so God is actually a tr- like in, he's a father in a truer sense that an earthly father is because everything comes from him. But it's these are terms that help us mm-hmm. understand as humans. We can't like constrain right. Ian, him in that sense. Imagine a color you've never seen before. Oh, that's tough. You to can't do. even do that, and you've seen that's colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's and and the issue I, I find with a lot of atheists is that they're like, I should be able to see evidence of God in the things I can see, and I'm like, bro, we know more than three dimensions exist, and you can't even visualize it. That's right. And that's 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 like rudimentary. God can only relate to us through. Through the, the creator can only relate to us through what is created mm-hmm. because we are created beings. Mm-hmm. And so our ability to even conceptualize God is limited to what we are. We can't actually, it's actually, it kind of goes back to the IQ question earlier, right? That it's very hard for us to imagine higher IQs than we have mm-hmm. because the imagination to do so is the exact thing that's constrained by the limitations of our IQ. Yeah. And so you, you meet someone with a true breakaway like I met Antonin Scalia one time and got the, the privilege of having a dinner with him. Oh, wow. And this is a guy with like 170, 160, 170 IQ. Mm. He's not like us. He sees colors that we don't see. He sees patterns that we don't see. You cannot know what it's like to be him. You can't even make believe imagine what it's like to be him. The average American has a 95 IQ. Well, the average is the average. Right? Yeah, 100 IQ. The average person with Down syndrome has like a 75 IQ. Antonin Scalia had like a 170 IQ. Mm. He is literally more more advanced than you than you are from a person who is actually retarded. I'm not using that as a pejorative. I'm using it as a descriptive. Slow. Imagine if you were the only person on earth with 115, 120 IQ and every single other person on earth had Down syndrome. That's what it's like to walk around and be Leonardo da Vinci or one of these 180 IQ guys. I say I say all of that to say, like, 
that tells you that you can't even imagine the things that he sees. Everybody with those breakaway IQs throughout all human history, they all speak like six or seven languages by the time they're eight or nine, and no one taught them any of the languages. They they perceive patterns that we do not perceive. Now, even Antonin Scalia has a brain that is roughly the size of a cantaloupe. We cannot even begin to imagine not just a godlike intelligence. We can't begin to imagine a 400 IQ. I mean, I'm, just, I'm even using terms that color. we can't. Mm-hmm. That's right. So so here's what I love. Um, could God create a boulder so heavy that he himself could not lift it? And you know what the answer is? I know that. Actually, I was just oh, reading oh, the about answer this. Is, I have, I'm curious what you yes. say. Yes. Um, so hold on, I hold on, let me explain. The point I want to make. Different answer. Uh, mm-hmm. I've programmed video games before. Mm-hmm. Have you programmed or worked in any of these develop- these games um, stuff? I tell you this. Games. You can program oh, a, a video. Bit, yeah, yeah. So, so you can program a video game mm-hmm. where you make a villain so strong that nothing can destroy him. And then you can go into the base code of the game and remove him. When, when, if the the idea of creating a boulder so heavy that God can't lift it, it the problem is is that uh, people, typically atheists, don't have. It's 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 not a religious thing. It's like the ability to understand that what we touch, smell, see, and hear is not reality. And so there's a limited understanding among some humans that the charged electromagnetic spectrum exists and we can't touch, smell, or see, or, or hear that, and it's real, but then why stop there? I don't understand. You know, I, yeah. I, it's a limitation so, in the human mind where they're like, it, well, if God made a boulder so heavy he couldn't lift it, I'm like, why would God be in his own video game if he made it? You know what I mean? So this is the uh, this is the answer that I got from something I was reading recently. It's a book called Theology and Sanity by Frank Sheed, and his formulation of this is really brilliant. Basically, the concept of something too heavy for an infinitely strong being to lift is an incoherent thought, and therefore it is nothing. And so the answer is, could God lift something so heavy? Is there something so heavy, God, he... I'm sorry. Could God create something so heavy that he himself could not lift it? The answer is no, because the thing you're describing is a nothing, and for God, nothing is impossible. So it what it's like a logical contradiction, and you're trying to map that onto God... God, so God, is, God is beyond the universe, and God is beyond yes. the concept of weight itself. Can I give you my answer to this question? Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that God did make an object so big that he couldn't lift it. My balls. We're on the after show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think God made an object so big that he couldn't lift it, and then he lifted it. And, and I think this mm-hmm. is like the, the central moment in Christian theology, which is to say that there is a thing that God valued above every other thing. And it was a thing that God definitionally is incapable of having in himself. So God is love. That's a biblical concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, God values love. But God is love. And so the thing that he values is something that's perfectly expressed in himself. Mm-hmm. But there's something that he valued even above love. There's something that he valued so highly that he valued it more than he hated sin. And the thing that he valued more than he hated sin and valued more than his own personal attributes was faith. Faith is the thing that God values above everything else, and God himself doesn't possess it. He can't, because faith is, according to Hebrews, the substance of things hoped for, things not seen. God can't hope for anything because he sees everything. There's nothing in which he can hope. There's nothing greater than him. And so, through the entire mechanism of biblical history, the entire mechanism of the creation, the entire mechanism of the fall of man, uh, the entire mechanism of the giving of the law, all of it, all of this leads to the moment where God— can tent himself in human flesh in Christ, live as a man, not under the burden of sin, but apart from the burden of sin, and face uniquely among any human ever 
the actual opportunity as both God and man to faith God and the and the uniqueness of Christ among all religions uh, in comparison to all humanity and even even anything we've ever dreamed up is the idea that in Christ God lifted the rock that God himself could not lift apart from Christ that God valued faith most highly and in Christ gave himself the opportunity to faith in himself that, really the, I think that's the actual we, I think that's the actual uh, most important thing that has ever happened in creation. The we got to wrap it up yeah, because we are, pushed, we, are, butch, we are way I too late. I got to upload this. We got to support what this. you're saying. The placebo Ian, effect we're is like a scientific example of we've, faith. We've, we've gone really late. So I love I'm you, Tim. <laughs> so, uh, Jeremy, thanks. I, uh, I thought that was an excellent final thought. Thank you. And um, this has been a, a, a absolutely fantastic uh, show. So uh, thanks for hanging out. And for all everyone who's a member, thanks for being members and uh, making all this possible. We'll see you all next time.